This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Gen Z Money. This week, we are continuing on our investing series and we're going to be talking about buying direct shares. So if you've ever been interested in buying shares in any of your favorite companies, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we've got Nick back with us this week to answer all of your questions. So I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Hey, Nick, thank you so much for joining us again this week. Another round, let's go. Let's do it. (laughs) So this week we're going to be talking specifically about buying shares. So in this whole series, we've been talking about buying shares in some form or another. Um, But in this episode, we're going to talk about specifically directly buying a share in a company. And I thought we'd maybe start off just for anyone who maybe doesn't know very clearly, what does it actually mean to be a shareholder? Does it mean that I can walk into the Apple store and, you know, start telling people what to do because I own part of the company? Um, What is actually involved in being a shareholder? Uh, I guess probably, well, what what you just said, I think, you know, if you own enough shares, you probably could, but I don't think that um, the shares that, um, you know, your, your audiences listening to will be able to have that sort of luxury. But I guess a shareholder is pretty much someone that owns a portion of the company. So that allows you to be a bit more involved with the company itself. So being a shareholder means that you can go to or you're invited to an event called an annual general meeting or an AGM. So that's where they discuss uh, the board and the sorts of uh, the, the people who you can elect. So as a shareholder, you can determine who you would like to elect or who if you would like them to stay in that sort of role as a as a you know chief executive officer chief financial officer and all those sorts of positions um mm-hmm. so therefore you also have voting rights as a as a shareholder to make those sorts of decisions so that sounds like a lot of responsibility um being a shareholder does that mean that i have to do all those things or are they optional no they're completely optional so You'll be getting some letters in the mail typically. That's generally how they correspond. They tell you that you've been invited to an annual general meeting. Um, they can, that allows you to, they'll provide you with the details of that meeting. And typically you could zoom into that meeting or if it happens to be in your particular city, then you can actually attend that. They'll also um, send you a financial report and then that pretty much just outlines what the company's done, um, how they've performed and um, what you know, their trajectory are or what they're kind of looking forward or focusing on in the future. So I guess it's definitely not an obligation, but it, I guess it's a, a right that you have as a shareholder to be um, involved or understand um, or be informed would probably be the best word about that company a bit more than if you didn't own shares in that company. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. And once I own a share in a company, um, I know that there are two ways that you can make money from owning a share. Uh, what are the two ways that you can make money from owning a share? Sure. So I, the two ways, the first one is called growth. So that is capital growth of the share. So let's just say hypothetically, I bought a share at $100 and over time that share has gone up to $110. Then therefore that's, that's a total growth of $10. So, so the share value can increase. Also, the other way you can make money from a share is through dividends, which is um, how you can make income through shares. So a a dividend is something that you get paid as a shareholder. Um, Typically, you get paid a dividend twice a year. 
But you should be aware, you should understand that prior to purchasing a, a share of a company that they do actually pay dividends because a lot of companies don't pay dividends. So that's something to definitely be aware of when considering buying um, an Australian or, it, or any, even an international share. Yeah, totally. And just because a company doesn't pay dividends doesn't mean it's not a company that you want to invest in. Um, I'm sure you would agree, Nick, just they all do things differently. Um, Not everyone's looking for companies that pay dividends anyway. Um, And probably also worth noting that those dividends are classed as income, which are taxable as well. Yeah, no, that's correct. So yeah, so I guess, you know, some people want to buy shares for growth, and then that's kind of buying a company and hoping that it accumulates over time. Um, Typically, for a, a large degree of growth, they might choose a smaller company that has a larger trajectory or kind of in an early growth phase. And you can jump on that sort mm-hmm. of um, that bandwagon or otherwise you can go for a more established company, which typically pay a stable dividend. So they don't necessarily fluctuate as much. So that's something to keep in, in understand to um, when you're when you're purchasing shares as well. Yeah, totally. All depends on your goals when it comes to that. Um, Another thing I want to talk about is, let's say, for example, you go into, let's say a handbag store and there's one handbag for $10 and there's one handbag for $110. You're going to assume that the expensive handbag is the better quality. Now with shares, you'll see some shares are $2 a share, some shares are, you know, $200 a share. Does that mean that the shares that have the higher price are the better companies to invest in? Not necessarily, no. I would remove the dollar of of, of how much one share is worth probably out of that equation. So the Mm -hmm. way that it would work is so a lot of companies issue shares to shareholders. They offer a percentage of their company. So for example, one company might offer 50% to the public, which is um, something that's listed on the ASX. Uh, and then they will keep the other 50% for themselves or, or, or not make them publicly traded. So therefore, mm-hmm. just hypothetically, let's say that there's about 2 or 3% of shares available on the stock exchange for this one particular company. The demand, so let, let, let's think about basic economics here, so supply and demand. So therefore, yeah. if there's a smaller portion of shares available for one particular company, the supply is quite low and the demand is quite high. So therefore, naturally, the price for those shares will just be at a higher sort of value because there's not too many shares on offer. So that's really good to know. Um, I imagine there are a lot of people out there who've maybe done some micro investing or they've bought ETFs um, and they might be looking to move into buying a few direct shares, but maybe they just don't know where to start. Um, So when you're coming up to the question of what should I invest in, what are some of the things that you should consider? So I I guess the first thing you should be looking at is, is the sort of goal, the goal that you're looking to from making an investment? Are you looking to hold the, the, the share long-term or short-term? Are you looking to generate a stable income from that? I guess also understanding the actual investment that you're investing in would be the key as well. So, you know, something that you might've heard of yourself just through, um, you know, shopping at your local supermarket, for example, and other things like that. Companies that, or sort of sectors that you're confident in and you can, and, and you have a bit more, knowledge in that would allow you to kind of make smarter decisions moving forward, I would Mm -hmm. say would be the best way. Yeah, totally. And I guess it also depends. I mean, 
there's two ways to look at it. So if I wanted to buy personally, I don't have any direct shares. Um, but if I were to, I'd have to ask myself, am I doing this to build wealth? And if so, I'm going to be very strategic about the shares that I buy. Or am I doing it because I just generally want to buy companies that I believe in? Let's say there's like a new um, plant-based meat alternative company on the horizon. And I think that they're a really good company. So I'm going to invest in that and that kind of investment, I'm doing that for fun. So I totally agree with what you're saying. It all comes down to your goals and that will determine the types of things that you invest in. Um, but let's talk a bit about the importance of keeping up to date with the markets. How do you manage that? Oh, well, I think the best way initially kind of for, for the, the sort of everyday investor would probably be the newspaper, I think, you know, got the Australian Financial Review is a great resource, I find, just to keep up to date with what's happening in those sorts mm-hmm. of different sectors and, and not only just Australian markets, but also um, overseas as well. I think that, you know, a, a lot of books, podcasts such as this, definitely not just like probably not markets of what's happening on this current day, but I think that it gives you those sorts of building blocks to be able to interpret information a lot differently, which would lead to a better result for you in making an investment decision. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you can, you would know as well, Nick, obviously there are tons of podcasts out there about investing now, which is really good. A lot of people talk about it online um, and you should never take anyone's word for gospel when it comes to investing. But in terms of research, you obviously, you've heard of things like Comsec. Is that something that you've, you've used in your experience? Yeah. So I, I use Comsec for research. So I know that they have a really good capability um, and quite a great user interface, especially on their app. So they provide a lot of information about pretty much every company on the ASX listed. You can get understand their prices and look at what's happening, not just for those one particular companies, but also the broader market in Australia as well as overseas. So I think as a great reference point to understand particular companies in a little bit more detail, at, um, apps like Comsec and, and also NabTrade and, and um, those sorts of platforms definitely are a great resource. Yeah, for sure. And even on a really, really basic, simple level, because I'm not the kind of person who checks every day what um, the market's been doing. But if I hear something happening, I'll have a really brief look at what's going on by um, on my iPhone. I don't know if you have the same thing, Nick, but it just has like a little widget where it shows you the um, what indexes are performing and what how companies are performing on a daily basis. Yep. So if I hear yep. in the news that the stock market's crashed, I'll just swipe over to that widget. Okay, yep, I can see what's happening in these different indexes. That gives me all the information that I really want to know at this point. <laughs> mm, mm, no, exactly. No, they're, no, they're definitely great resources. Definitely. So you mentioned Comsec for research, but um, I'm sure a lot of people listening would have heard of Comsec as a platform to actually buy shares. So let's talk a bit about where to buy shares. Um, So obviously we've got Comsec, but there are a range of different platforms that do the same thing. Um, So I'm sure as as well, you've heard Nick of NabTrade, uh, SelfWealth. There are things like Perla, um, Vanguard, everyone kind of has a platform at the moment. Um, so when you're looking at different platforms, what are the kind of things that you should be looking at when you decide? I'm guessing, you know, for me, I think it's much of a muchness. They all do the same thing. Um, but what are maybe some things that you should look at when you're choosing the platform you might want to buy shares on? Well, the first thing I'd think of would be brokerage. So different platforms offer different brokerage rates and also different other fees as well. So it could be an account administration fee. Mainly I'd, I'd be looking at brokerage because that would be uh, 
that would be something that you need to factor into your tr- when you buy shares as well. So not just the actual brokerage price because, you know, most platforms, hey, you have to pay brokerage, but I know that there are some platforms that don't pay brokerage as well. So that's something to be aware of. And then that comes with some sorts of limitations as well based on those things. Yeah, that's it for sure. And we should probably also mention for anyone who's new to investing, you can't buy and sell shares on the weekends. It's just like, Correct. Just like so your the nine to five job. No, you're right. It is, oh, it's not nine to five. It's 10 to four. So it's no, a little bit true. more lenient. So, <laughs> yeah. so I guess, um, yeah, so that you can, no, you're right, Azaria. So you can only buy shares between the hours of 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. on Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. And you're also, if it's in, I'm just talking about Australia here. So if there's a public holiday, a, a national holiday, such as Anzac Day, Christmas, Christmas Day, then those sorts of holidays, um, the markets will be closed. Yep. And then let's talk as well, because you did just say before, we're just talking about Australia, um, but I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who want to invest in companies that are outside of Australia, because a lot of the biggest companies in the world are outside of Australia. And in this series, we're going to talk about um, some ways you can get into those markets through things like exchange traded funds or managed funds. But for people who are wanting to buy directly into overseas markets, what are some of the things that they should consider? I would probably say that they also need to make sure. So a lot, there are some existing Australian sorts of products. So I know Comsec, for example, can offer international share trades. So, but the key thing you need to take into account is the, for example, US markets are open when we're all asleep, technically. So mm-hmm. that's something that we need to take into consideration because if you're open for the Australian markets and the US markets, you're a person that doesn't have much sleep. So I think <laughs> I think that that's something to consider as well. But also a very important factor is the tax consequences. So the taxes um, are a lot different in the US compared to Australia. Or, in, or if, if you're buying any shares overseas, you need to understand the tax consequences of purchasing those shares um, mm-hmm. because you know they have different requirements as well as the brokerage fees would be higher as well. So that's something to consider when you're when you're making those sorts of investments. But I understand that we'll be speaking about this in a later episode. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about tax in a bit more detail uh, later on because it might be a bit much for all one episode. Um, but we've just touched on um, some of the fees. Obviously, we've mentioned brokerage a few times and that's something that you pay every time you purchase a bundle of shares. Um, so usually I know for a lot of platforms, you're looking at around 10 to $15. And is that is that pretty accurate for your experience, Nick? Yep. So it's about that price up to a, and then at the more you invest, it, it begins. So anything over $10,000, I know that I'm just getting a little bit technical here, but anything over $10,000, it stops becoming a flat dollar fee. It starts to become a percentage fee. So um, that could be 0.1% or it could be uh, 0.2 or 0.3% of the total value that you will be trading in that one transaction. Yeah. So the cost of the shares isn't the only cost when it comes to buying shares. You do have to pay that brokerage each time you purchase. And then moving on from there. So I want to talk a bit about some of the risks of investing directly in shares. Obviously, we know what the benefits are and what the appeal is for a lot of people. I'm just going to start off by saying, as I said for myself, I don't buy direct shares at this point. And that's because I don't personally have the interest or I don't have um, plans to set aside time to research individual companies. So for me, it's just not a part of my um, financial goals in the long term. But I know, Nick, that you do invest directly in shares from time to time and many people do. It all just depends on your investment goals. Um, But I know for myself, um, partly I don't have the interest in researching individual companies and getting that really deep 
level understanding of the shares that I'm buying. And another thing is probably diversification. And I'm sure you'll be able to comment comment on this as well, Nick, but let's say for example, I buy, you know, I have a hundred dollars and I choose to put a hundred dollars into um, one specific share. What I'm doing there is I'm not giving myself a wide range of diversification. So let's say for example, if that one company goes bankrupt, then I have lost all my money. Um, whereas a lot of people prefer to buy a range of different shares so that if one company goes bankrupt, it doesn't affect them too badly. Do you have any comments on that, Nick? No, no, I think that's definitely a, a risk and a very valid sort of reason why you wouldn't want to invest in in that as well. So I definitely agree that diversification is something that's very important. I think that if you were to be buying direct shares, I probably wouldn't just be buying one company and leaving it at that. Mm. I'd probably be looking mm-hmm. to buy a multiple, you know, a few more than just one company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if say for example, you've got a thousand dollars and you're like, oh, I want to put a thousand dollars into one company. I'd probably think twice just about that. I'd think from a diversification perspective. Um, and another thing that I think can can scare a few people off direct shares purchasing as well is volatility. So could you explain what volatility means? So volatility is pretty much uh, the price moving up and down very cons- for, for, for sometimes no reason and for sometimes there's a very good reason. <laughs> so but I, I think volatility is reduced the longer that you hold it. So I think shares typically have a larger degree of volatility compared to other sorts of sectors such as um, uh, ETFs, for example, uh, because you're exposed to just one company, whereas like an ETF Mm -hmm. is exposed to about 200 plus companies. So therefore the volatility with one particular company is a lot higher. So when I say volatility, I'm talking about the the share price moving up and down um, and not really staying consistent um, it, it's always, it might go up $2 one day and it might go down $5 another day, but ultimately it will, it, it, it plays within a particular range. Yeah. And if you're an anxious person, if you're an anxious person, you don't want to be checking, you know, the share price every day. But if you want to see an example of volatility, wait until the next big company has a scandal, go check their, um, their stock price movement for the day and you'll see it pretty quickly what volatility looks like. Awesome. So I think that covers pretty much everything that we wanted to chat about today, Nick. Thank you again so much for joining us and talking to us about shares. I think that was really helpful. No, it's great. It's a great discussion and um, definitely something that I'm sure your listeners will, will find valuable. Absolutely. See you next week. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.